This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now across Europe, in the last few years, there has been a trend in politics heading rightwards. In Hungary, we know of Viktor Orban, but in Italy, Giorgio Maloney, who is, I suppose, neo-fascist, won in Sweden, which was renowned for its social democratic beliefs. There is also a far-right political party which is part of the government. And at the weekend we learned that in the Netherlands, a man who was really out on the far reaches of right-wing politics, Geert Wilders' party, it's a, the party for freedom, took 23% of the votes and initially he was regarded as favourite to be the next uh, prime minister, succeeding Mark Rutte, who had been in power for 13 years. It really is a big shock, and it surprised many people, including my next guest, who's one of the most distinguished writers in Europe. He writes for the Financial Times every Saturday, and his books include Chums, How a Tiny Cast of Oxford Tories Took Over the UK, and Barca, The Inside Story of the Greatest Football Club in the World, which won the UK Football Book of the Year Award in 2022. And he joins us now. Simon, we're very grateful to you for joining us. And it's notable that you were one of many people taken by surprise by the 23% vote for Gert Wilders' Party for Freedom. Initially, it was said he was favourite to be the next Prime Minister, and I know that yesterday they began negotiations or were supposed to be beginning negotiations to form a government, but that can take several months and be a long process in the Netherlands. Is it immigration? It is mostly immigration, and it's also largely Islam in particular, which he's been banging on about for 20 years. I mean, let me briefly rewind. I I'm mostly British, but I grew up in the Netherlands. I went to school there. I went to Dutch schools for 10 years. So I feel very connected to the country. And I did write this article about 10 days before the election, wrongly predicting that far right as usual would hit its ceiling of 20%, wouldn't really matter. And that's what the polls were saying. Then in the last few days, Wilders 
started to say, well, look, I'm willing to moderate. I want to work with other parties and form a coalition. Essentially, I'll be a good boy. Yeah. I'll uh, move to the center. And this was very persuasive to voters. And so suddenly he shot up to 25%, which is the far right's highest score in Dutch history. And so, yeah, now, I mean, this is a man who formed his own party, which has one member, him, I, you cannot become a member of the party, you can only give to it. So he totally alone decides the course of this party. And since 9-11, which made a big impact in the Netherlands country with large um, Muslim population, mostly from Turkey and Morocco, he has been attacking Islam in a very aggressive way. Um, he's called it fascist. He has um, proposed uh, attacks on uh, women wearing Islamic veils. Yes. He called it a, a head rag tax. He's been very, he's talked about uh, banning the Quran. He's proposed banning the Quran, uh, closing mosques. In short, very anti-democratic measures. I mean, this for him is quite genuinely felt. I mean, he's not a kind of cynic like, say, Boris Johnson. Yeah. Wilders really believes in this stuff. I mean, a formative experience for him was um, when he was in his late teens, he worked in Israel for a couple of years. He was very inspired by Israel. Then he traveled around the Arab countries. Um, you know, he saw the, the dictatorships uh, and the anti-Israeli, um, anti-Semitic, opinions that he heard and he's sort of been a lifelong supporter of israel which also means he's got money over the years from u.s neocon organizations yes which, um and so yeah so he has always been what he is well he has been this for 20 years very experienced member of parliament and suddenly he's broken through and is he likely to be able to form a government or is he or at least his past been so toxic that he may find it difficult to form a coalition? Well, I mean, the Netherlands and Dutch politics are very legalistic. And the other parties, the, the, the centre-right parties too in particular, with whom he could in theory have a majority in government, are very reluctant to form a coalition with somebody who proposes things that are clearly against international law and the Dutch constitution. So Article 1 of the Dutch constitution says you may not discriminate. Now, he's sort of been discriminating against Islam his whole political career and, um, you know, famous incident where he got a crowd calling for fewer, quote, Moroccans, of course, meaning people largely who were born in the Netherlands and have yes. passports. So this is a man who discriminates. And also now he's saying, or he has been saying for a while, um, no more asylum seekers. Well, you know, if you're going to end asylum, then you're kind of separating yourself from the Western world. He wants... Um, you know, he wants customs officials on Dutch borders. He wants jobs for Dutch people. So if you're another European as well, so if you're Irish, you want to work in, in the Netherlands, he would want to stop that. All this, you know, is not compatible with the, the Netherlands staying in the EU. And he, he indeed wants referendums to leave the EU. So the other centre-right parties, the centre-right parties, because he's far-right, are saying, you know, if we're going to even think about governing with you, you're going to have to move an enormous way in our direction. You're going to have to kind of drop almost everything that makes you distinctive. And that's the game now. I mean, he seems quite willing. He's 60 years old. He, I think, recognizes that this is one chance to actually govern instead of just being a voice shouting in Parliament against what he calls the elite. This is one chance to govern, so he's willing to move an enormous way in their direction. I'm not sure whether he will end up being able to govern. If his attempt fails, then you, you know they would cobble together a large centrist coalition, centre-right, centre-left, without him... But that sort of would work to his advantage because then he can be saying, oh, look, the elite is excluding me again. 
and his his vote base would rise. Whereas if he's forced into government and he has to compromise and he runs a kind of central right government, his voters are going to be a bit disaffected. Now you are based in Paris, Simon. Just you, you mentioned the possibility of the Dutch wanting to leave Europe or the idea of Nexit, as, as it's called. That's one sort of intriguing factor. It's unfeasible. I mean, right. he wants a referendum on it. There is no way that the Dutch would vote yes in right. a referendum on the EU. Um, I know these are famous last words post-Brexit, but A, the failure of Brexit was a warning to, there are no serious exit movements on the continent right. at all. And secondly, the Netherlands is just totally, much more than the UK, plugged into European exchanges. I mean, the Netherlands is a hugely open trade country. Yes. Uh, goods arrive in Rotterdam, the biggest port in Europe all, all day, which essentially are sent largely to Germany. The Netherlands is kind of part of the Dutch, the German logistic base. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a totally open trade country. If you did a kind of British Brexit, it would be a disaster, much more than in Britain. Now, the prospects for Marine Le Pen immediately are striking. And she would, I think, seek to leave Europe, but she's a much more dangerous character in a much more powerful country. Were there any reverberations in France? to this particular result in the Netherlands? Well, there are parallels and differences. Of course, she was happy that Builders won. I mean, like Builders now in the last couple of weeks, she is trying to moderate and present herself as a kind of normal politician, not someone who wants to tear everything down, not someone with the kind of whiff of a fascist past and a Vichy that clung to her party since her father's day. She's wanting to say, look, I'm, I'm just a regular democratic, uh, politician and my anti-migrant views are, are widely popular and, um, I'm not a kind of, um, post-fascist, which is what Wilders is doing now. She wouldn't, I think, leave Europe. I think, uh, that was what she was proposing in the 2017 election, but yes. after Brexit, that is no longer popular. Um, the, the kind of chaos of Brexit was a bit of a shock to anyone who was interested in the idea of leaving. So she would do what Wilders does and try to say, well, we don't want borders open so much and we want jobs for our people, um, own people first kind of idea. So no other Europeans coming here and taking jobs. So she would start running up against a whole bunch of EU treaties almost immediately, as Wilders would if he were allowed to do what he wanted. But they, they would kind of be much more like Orban sort of being in the EU and disrupting it rather than leaving it. I mean, post-Brexit, you get this kind of leave Euroscepticism, which is that you're anti-European, but you make sure you stay in Europe. The big difference between Le Pen and Villers is that if you're French president, uh, especially if you control parliament, which you may not, but sometimes you can just shut down parliaments and pass laws yes. through a kind of decree. French president is the most powerful position in Europe. To a large yes. degree, you can do what you want. You know, you wake up in the morning and you want to do something, well, bang, you make it a law. In the Netherlands, it's much more complicated, largely because you're ruling in coalition. And so Dutch politics is all about compromise. All these different parties come together, they compromise what they would like to do, and they kind of manage the country rather than steering it in a new direction, typically. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Now, in Germany also, the AFD both in local elections and in opinion polls, are arguably, in opinion polls, the most popular party. Now, there is a a rainbow coalition there, but Germany is also trending rightwards. Do you see anything other than immigration that is driving this? And a second question, Simon, is about the, the Trumpian element, if there is one in all of this. I mean, you know, as with Trump, there's a kind of resentment among people who didn't go to university against the highly educated. So the first line of Wilders' PVB, um, you know, party program is uh, our democracy doesn't work because the highly educated, his words, always get their way. And you see, of course, the same with Trump, that uh, essentially Americans with degrees largely voted uh, Democrat. and. Yeah plus a large uh, proportion of African-Americans and Hispanics as well uh, who don't have degrees always. And then white Americans without college degrees are Trump's base. So kind of white white Dutch people who didn't go to university is a large part of Wilders' base. In Germany as well, you know, the AfD builds on these kinds of resentments against the elite, which have been worsened in the last couple of years by a lot of tensions over COVID and then inflation, which has made it very difficult for people on low incomes to kind of get through the month. And uh, then also bringing in the the Russia and Ukraine war, where um, Wilders, again, has been historically sympathetic to Russia, although the party program does say that the Russian invasion was, was illegitimate. But he's been historically sympathetic to Russia and also opposes the Dutch giving money to Ukraine. So Ukraine, Russia for all these parties is a kind of wedge issue, although Le Pen has moved away from her historic friendship with Russia since the war began. Um, so there's similarities with Trump, but the difference is that Trump is very much a guy who says, look, let's burn the whole thing down. Let's get rid of all these institutions. 
and also let's circulate, you know, crazy conspiracy theories now chiefly about the election of 2020 and deny climate change and live in this kind of fantasy world. In Europe, you don't get that so much, partly because uh, they're state broadcasters. So pretty much everyone in the Netherlands or Germany gets most of their news yes. from state broadcasters. So there's a kind of shared reality, which in the US doesn't exist. Yes, of course. And Fox News would be classically an example of that and the power that Fox News can wield. Even in Ireland last Thursday, Simon, we had our own sort of moment when an immigrant who had Irish nationality was involved in an incident in which three children were stabbed, as was their carer, and one of the girls has life-changing injuries and the carer is still critical. But Ireland is, the, the slogan that was held up, we don't have any far-right parliamentarian. There is a small cohort, but Ireland is a kind of, I suppose, in relative terms, a bastion of tolerance and decency in many ways. However, the slogan they held up was, Ireland is full. In other words, there's, we have no more room. We're taking our houses, our jobs, our healthcare system can't cope. And is that, do you think, the same kind of complaint writ large in the Netherlands, for example, in Sweden, um, and in Italy also? Well, I mean, the Netherlands is full has been a saying, I mean, the, the Queen, then Queen first said it in a state speech in 1979. It later became far-right trope, and now it's become a kind of, um, you know, generally held belief. And the Netherlands is, I think, after Malta, the most densely populated EU country. I mean, if you go there now, um, you do get a sense of extreme fullness, which in Ireland I simply don't get. And, um, you know, 18 million people in a small space, there's very little new housing. It's hard for people to get homes. And so there's a lot of tension around that. So the big issues in the election were uh, migration and housing, and not just issues for the far right, even among, yes. among left-wing parties, there's a kind of acceptance about reducing migration, which has been very high post-pandemic. And I mean, it's just lived experience. Uh, I, I'm not endorsing this point of view, but I went around, you know, the, te- the Dutch town where I grew up, I cycled around last year, you know, my old horns, the, the field behind the house where we played soccer, yes. the, 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 my soccer club. Uh, the soccer club has been built over with housing. It's been moved to the edge of town. Yes. Uh, the field behind my house has been built over with housing. You you get a, a kind of much more dense Netherlands than people of my age and older can remember from their childhood. Yes. And I think that's a source of stress, which in Sweden, Italy, and Ireland just isn't quite the same. Now, can he form a government that will be stable? I think it's very hard. I mean, you might get a minority government, so you don't command a majority in parliament, and he gives it a go that way, that a couple of parties say, well, we won't oppose you, but uh, we're not going to join the coalition. Um, so I think that it's unlikely that a stable government is going to emerge. Also, the far right in the Netherlands, when they've got close to governing, it's, it's always gone badly because the regular parties don't like working with a kind of... Um, Trumpian uh, party with yep. discriminatory tinges. So in 2002, the far right got into government for 87 days and then the government fell just because the far right was just, they started to have all these internal fights and they became impossible to deal with. In 2010, there was a government that Wilders backed from outside government. So his party said, we'll support this government, we won't join it. 
And then suddenly in 2012, he pulled the plug and let the government fall, after which the mainstream parties thought, well, we're not going to go and get into bed with him again. So he's just, a, he's been an unreliable partner. And the Netherlands, it's, it's very pragmatic political tradition. It's not about big ideas. It's about we'll form a coalition and then we'll agree kind of tiny changes among ourselves through late night negotiations. So it's not a politics of ideology. It's a politics of managerialism. And he just doesn't fit into that. Now, the Dutch are renowned for their, what should I call it, reasonableness or rational approach, certainly in football, which is the thing I know best. Reason, rational approach. I am, of course, accepting from that, you know, the great Dutch footballers and the greatest of them all, Johan Cruyff. Did he, how much did he go against, if you like? Because he did reinvent football in a certain way. Yeah. And yeah. Has, has arguably been the most influential person in soccer to the point where, you know, he may have well have, well, I'm certain he influenced uh, Pep Guardiola. He influenced Barcelona greatly when he was there. He was the main influence on Pep Guardiola. He was he Pep's was, yeah. father in football, yeah. Yes, and and your book, uh, which I strongly recommend to anyone who wants to buy a book at Christmas, is a wonderful book, Barca, the inside story of the greatest football club in the world. It isn't just a story about, uh, like all the best sports books, it's not just a story about sport, it's a story about change and rejection and all of that. I wonder about... Dutch people now, were they alarmed in any way by the rise of Wilders and to where he is right now? It's kind of sudden in that he's been a figure on the scene for 25 years. He's been far right for about 20 years. And it was, he was always a kind of voice in the room shouting, you know, shouting that judges were liberals, that journalists were thugs. He called a centrist woman politician a witch. You know, he was always shouting terrible things about Islam. And he had his base, you know, um, a bit under a fifth of the population, voted loyally for him, mostly people outside the big cities, outside the wealthiest part of the country in the West. But he was, nobody ever thought he would break through. And now suddenly he is in a position to become prime minister. And that is uh, much more disquieting than the builders of a month ago who, you know, uh, most people thought, me included, would always just be kind of shouting on the edge. Yes. I mean, one other thing to to mention about Builders is the guy's been under police protection for, I think, close to 20 years. He can't really go outside for a walk. And this is very strange in a country where the prime minister historically cycles to work. Yes. I mean, you mentioned Margote, his predecessor, and Builders actually mentored Margote when they were in the same centre-right party in the late uh, 1990s. But Luther would you'd see him cycling around The Hague, you know, uh, it was yes. a very kind of ordinary figure, which is very Dutch. And Wilders can hardly go outside by himself. And so I think these death threats, which mostly are from Islamic groups, I think, have radicalized him as well. He, he doesn't really live in society. He, um, he can't kind of walk into a cafe or drop in on a friend. And so he's been a very isolated figure. And I think that has added to his kind of anger and paranoia. How did he, you know, go from being almost a joke, to being potentially the Prime Minister. Because he moved, he said he was willing to move to moderation. That was what got him into this poll position. About a week or so before the election, when he saw, look, again, I'm going to be a 
you know, a big party, but I'm not going to get into a coalition and I'm not going to be significant enough that the others cannot ignore me. He thought, right, okay, I'm really going to say, look, I want to govern. I want to be in a coalition. I'm willing to make deals with others. And so the last week before the election, he was suddenly, uh, the Dutch cliche in the newspapers was Geert Milders, milder. He, he suddenly uh, became a milder version of what he'd been for 20 years and said, look, you know, I'm a reasonable guy and I can kind of be a normal, boring Dutch politician. And that was very appealing to people who liked the bigotry, liked the anti-Islam stuff, but didn't really want a Trump yes. who was going to blow the house down. And so he said, look, I'll, I'll just make the country a bit more bigoted and anti-migrant, but we're not going to, we're not really going to change the, the, the way the Netherlands is run. And that was what got him over the edge. Okay, Simon, I just want to ask you one question before we let you go, and it's about chums, how a tiny cast of Oxford Tories took over the UK. Uh, A, is it out if anyone wants to buy it? Absolutely. Yes, yes. It's, and uh, I take it it's about Boris and co. Uh, very much so. Jacob Friesmog and all the rest of them. It's a, it's a wonderful title. It really goes back to the roots of these people. It goes back to Oxford in the 80s and 90s, where almost all of them were, you know, whether it's yes. Brexiteers like Johnson and Cummings and Dan Hanan, Rees-Mogg, Michael Gove, or, or Remainers like David Cameron, George Osborne. It's a tiny group of people, yes, almost indeed. all men, who knew each other back then. And so I wanted to go back to the origins and understand how these people ended up running the country and where they got these beliefs. Okay, well, we're, it's a pleasure to have you on the Stan Simon again, uh, and I strongly recommend Barca, the inside story of the greatest football club in the world. It's a really brilliant book, and chums for the rest of us who know a bit about England, I think I'll put on my wish list for Christmas. We're very grateful to you for joining us, Simon, and uh, Simon is a, an outstanding journalist. She writes in the Financial Times every Saturday, and other times. Thank you very much, Simon. Thanks to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.